Good morning, everybody. We'll, we'll start prompt on time this morning. <laughs> Good morning. It's great to have you all this morning um, gathered here to, to worship God together. Um, I hope you've had a, an enjoyable weekend enjoying the sun, and we certainly have enjoying the place that we live in. It's an absolutely beautiful place, isn't it? The world that God has created is, is stunning, and it reflects something of who He is um, and something of His greatness. Let's turn now to our scripture reading before Duncan comes to open it for us. Uh, we're in Acts chapter 14 this morning, and I will read the whole chapter. Acts chapter 14. Now, at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against their brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and, the, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him, and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowds saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas, and Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priests of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain, these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifices to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Ataliah. 
And from there, they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. Amen. Well, let me also welcome you as we look at this amazing chapter of Scripture together. Uh, You can follow uh, the passages printed out in the diary that was uh, handed to you as you came in. You can follow there if you don't have a Bible to hand. Uh, And what a privilege it is to to be able to even think about such a thing as mission and to have a mission Sunday and to be spoiled for choice of people who could come and tell us about what God is doing uh, either at home or abroad. This is such a helpful passage for us then because for any mission to be successful, uh, those who are taking part in it need to be clear on several things. What is the aim of the mission? Where will the mission take place? What equipment will we need? What opposition is there likely to be? Who will I be working with? How will we judge success? I mean, imagine any successful mission, any famous successful mission in history, whether it be in war or in space adventure or in scientific endeavor, without clarity on these key pieces of information, then the likelihood of success reduces and, in fact, becomes unmeasurable almost. And that's why it's such a shame that the mission of the church is so often clouded in confusion, lack of focus, lack of clarity about how to measure success. You could read two books on missions, and they might disagree with each other violently. Well, the good news is that God has given us clear, specific guidance on Christian mission, and He's given us His Word on the matter in the Bible. And so today we're dipping back into the book of Acts where we've recently been studying. And the book of Acts is the story of the early church, how it expanded, how God's mission, His unstoppable mission, started towards the ends of the earth. And we've come to chapter 14. It's been a while since we looked at this. In chapter 13, the first overseas mission was launched. Paul and Barnabas sent on their way to tell others about Jesus Christ. They traveled to Cyprus, then up to what is now eastern Turkey. And here we come to this helpful chapter for us because it describes the events that took place in the concluding leg of this first missionary journey. And what we see as we take these chapters together, but even if we just take our chapter on its own, that there are certain patterns that emerge as the mission goes on. These patterns show us the marks of the mission. And how fitting for us this morning on Mission Sunday to think about that. So, the first mark of the mission that I want us to see is that it is proclamational when I put that word into my, uh, into my word processor on Microsoft Word, the red line comes underneath it. So, maybe that's not a real word. 
So, what I mean by proclamational is the mission is the proclamation of a message. This is one of the details that Luke, the writer of Acts, seems to regularly go out of his way to make clear for us. You see from the very first verse of our chapter, they enter into the Jewish synagogue at Iconium, and they spoke in such a way that a great number believed. The opposition starts to stir at Iconium, but still, verse 3, they keep doing what? Speaking boldly for the Lord. And even when things that might distract us come into view, and, uh, you know, these, these signs and wonders, miraculous happenings start to go along with the apostles as they do their ministry, well, we're not, Luke doesn't want those to distract us from what is the primary thing in the mission. Because look what he says of those spectacular happenings. They were there, verse 3, to bear witness to the Word of His grace. They were there to point to something else, to the message, to the proclamation. Even with the healing of the lame man in Lystra, we see in verse 9 that first, what was he doing? He was listening to Paul speaking. And in response to what he heard, we're told that he had faith to be healed. When the crowd of pagans went to worship Paul and Barnabas as gods, the two missionaries, they, they don't accept the garlands, they don't accept all the offerings. Instead, they go back to what's important. The, not the miraculous healing that prompted them to worship these guys. No, what do they say to them? They say, we are men of like nature with you, and we bring you what? Good news. We have something to tell you. When they move into Derby, Luke's summary in verse 21, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, then they moved on. The same in Perga, verse 25. When they had spoken the word in Perga, then they moved on. You see, the focus of the mission here, this first overseas mission that set out from the church in Antioch, the focus was the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, this first overseas mission uh, wasn't just the first one overseas. It was the first mission aimed specifically at reaching non-Jewish people people whose background was paganism. You know, they worshipped multiple gods, and their religion was all about earning favor with the gods by doing the right things. And so, it's not surprising that the message that Paul and Barnabas delivered to that audience, it started, it, that message starts in a very different place from the sort of message they would deliver to an exclusively Jewish audience. You know, the Jews already believed in God. They knew the history of God's people, the promises of God in the Old Testament. And we see this difference in the short excerpt that we're given when Paul tries to talk down these people who would worship him as if he was the god Hermes. And you see this little, little snippet of his message in verses 15, 16, and 17. And so, what is different? What, where does Paul start to this audience? Well, the first thing he says to them is, you're on the wrong track. You see that in verse 15? 
you're on the wrong track. You need to, you need to turn away from these empty things that you're worshiping and turn to a living God. He wants them to see the emptiness of what they're worshiping and open their minds to the possibility that there is a living God. You're on the wrong track. Second, he wants to tell them, well, who is the living God? And he tells them, turn to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. This is who God is, the creator of everything you see, the creator of you. You're on the wrong track. Here's who the living God is, and here's how you can be sure He's there, He says to them, third of all. Even though He allowed you to to walk in your own ways, the living God has always had a witness, verse 17, and that witness to His presence has been His goodness to you in how He's provided for you that rain that comes down from heaven, you think that was your doing? That harvest that has fed you and your family generation after generation, you think that was all your doing? No, you see, they start here simply wanting to get across to these people that there is one God who created all things, the living God. He is not a dead idol. You see, Paul never needed to make that point to a Jewish audience but he realizes he's in different territory here. So, he takes the time. He starts here. He doesn't assume this basic knowledge of them. And let's be honest, friends, we need to do that in this culture today. Most people around us are not at all convinced that there even is a God. Many have never even thought about it. That's what I've increasingly found is there are many who have never given a thought to the possibility that there might be a God. And so, we need to take time, as Paul demonstrates for us here, that we can take time to demonstrate, point to the existence of the living God. This is why leading someone to faith seems to take such a long time, longer than it ever used to, Well, because our culture no longer shares this basic understanding of the world, certainly not the existence of God. This is why we've been having our big question sessions on Sunday evenings, six o'clock, to try and wrestle with some of those questions that are raised as common objections to the faith, some of them at the most basic level, at the, the, the level of things that we assume to be true. And so, this is why it's okay for us to take time with people to say, well, you know, the reason why there is something here rather than nothing is because there is a God who created it. The reason why life could ever emerge from non-life is because there is a life giver. There is a God. The reason why we get so het up about morality, about why, uh, and the only reason we could ever have some kind of clear, fixed morality is if there is a higher moral standard, and that standard is God's. Because it's not until people's eyes are opened to see that there is a God that we can then press on the obligations we have to Him. We must be prepared to speak to people where they are. This is what Paul and Barnabas show us so well. It's not all they said. We're going to come to that in a moment. 
But the standout mark of the mission in Acts 14 and throughout the book of Acts is that it is proclamational. There's a message to be proclaimed. The second mark of the mission is that it is unpopular. You can't miss this in this chapter either, can you? It's unpopular. Everywhere this mission goes, there's trouble. In Iconium, where we start in chapter 14, both Jews and Gentiles are stirred up, as it's put in verse 5, to mistreat them and to stone them. Stoning was the Jewish method of execution. They're trying to kill them. And in fact, in Lystra, you see in verse 19 that Paul is stoned, dragged out of the city and left for dead. Simply have to ask, what is it that is so offensive about this proclamational mission? In this chapter, the gospel is described as good news. What could be so offensive about good news? Well, the truth is you can't really have good news without there first being bad news. To tell someone that their way of life, to tell someone that their religion that was handed down to them from their ancestors, that it's empty, that there's nothing there, More than that, to tell them that because they've engaged in this empty way of life, that it is an affront to the living God and that you deserve actually only judgment from Him. And more than that, to tell them that there is nothing in your power that you have to change that. People don't like that. Instinctively, none of us like that. But even when we come to the good news, the good news that says, even though you have worshipped empty things, you can be right with God. Jesus Christ has come. God has become a man and has lived the perfect life of devotion to God that you certainly have not lived. And He has died the death that idolaters like you and I deserve so that all who believe in Him can be forgiven will be forgiven, and can know Him. And God has borne witness to this by raising Jesus from the dead. The good news is that God has done everything. You see, in contrast to the religion of paganism and indeed every other religion, the message of this mission was not one that said, smarten up, tidy up, improve, climb higher, you'll get there. It was a message that said, you're as low as can be, lower than you ever realized. There's nothing in your power to get there, but you know what? You can be right with God because God has done everything in Jesus Christ to bring you to Him. He'll clean you up. He will make you like His Son. And the truth is, as good news as that is, we instinctively hate this kind of message because who likes to be told that you can't do something? Who likes to be told that you don't have the capacity to do something? Who likes to be told you don't have the power to fix it? But this is the message. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No back doors into heaven, no secret passages. No idea that, well, if we all just do our best, we'll get there eventually. 
No, it was a message that was centered on Jesus Christ as the way that God has provided for us to know him, to be right with him, and to be with him forever. And in fact, we're going to be thinking about that subject tonight, as Mark mentioned in our big question at six. But this is, this is the thing. This mission is not just some historic mission. This mission goes on even today. In fact, it even goes on in this place. Because as I share with you that good news about who Jesus is and what he's come to do, I also say to you, this is for you. You need this. You need to enter into this way. You need to turn from whatever empty thing is occupying you and turn to the living God through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. And you can do that right now where you're sitting to come honestly before God and confess that all of these things that we've said about how, how rock-bottom human beings are, it is true of me. Yes, that is me, Lord, and I thank you that there is forgiveness in Jesus. And I accept it. I receive Him I give myself to follow him. But look at these missionaries. They keep going. They keep going. I mean, here we read of Paul and Barnabas. After all they've gone through, you know, the stoning in Lystra, left for dead, they come to the end of the line in terms of their journey. And what do they do? They turn back and they revisit all of these cities where people had been trying to kill them. I mean, you couldn't make this stuff up, could you? But it was their understanding that the mission is unpopular that enabled them to keep going. They understood that just because opposition comes, it doesn't mean they're failing in their work. No, it's to be expected. And I was really struck by the wording of verses 2 and 3. Look at what happens in verse 2. They read there that um, a great number of uh, um, sorry, the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Verse 3, so they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord. In other words, Luke is saying they knew that opposition was there, and so they didn't cut short their stay, and they didn't speak in hushed tones. They kept going. No one wants to be disliked. And Christians, we should never be setting about to try and be disliked. But we do need to be ready for this. If we're going to take seriously the mission of telling others about Jesus, then opposition will come. And when it does, it's when we recognize that it is part and parcel of doing God's mission well that we're enabled to keep going. So we see the mission is proclamational, the mission is unpopular, and the third mark I want you to see is that the mission is planting and strengthening churches. Planting and strengthening churches. Despite the unpopularity among many, the preaching of the Word in Acts 14, it bears fruit. First of all, we see that at an individual level. We see in this chapter that, that through the proclamation of the gospel, disciples were made. So we started in Iconium, and it is implied there, verse 4, there were some in the city who sided with the apostles. That's how Luke puts it. We read in Lystra of disciples, disciples gathering around Paul after he had been stoned. You find that in verse 20. 
But then most explicitly in Derby, verse 21, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples. You see, this was their mission, to make followers of Jesus. In the great commission that Jesus gives, he calls his followers to go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to obey everything he's commanded. And so, on that individual level, this is what took place. People were converted. They became followers of Jesus Christ. And where you have a group of disciples in one place, well, there you have a local church. And we might wonder, you know, why, why, why would those missionaries go back? I mean, never mind the danger. Why would they go back through those cities again on the way home? I mean, they've already preached the gospel in those places. What do they need to go back for? But I think when we understand this aspect of the mission, that it is about planting and strengthening churches, then they are revisiting those dangerous cities makes perfect sense. Churches had been planted there. And if those churches were going to survive, those churches would need built up. And that is exactly what Luke describes for us in verses 22 and 23. Um, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. This was n there was no sense in these missionaries' minds that they would go into a city, simply shout out the message, and then clear off. They had something very much in mind that their mission was to plant and as far as they could to strengthen churches. And I don't think that principle has changed in mission at all. And so we are blessed to have organizations that we've heard from today like Scripture Union, like UCCF, because in fact these groups are there to support and to strengthen churches and to do so through the proclamation of the Word, as we've been hearing about today. And in fact, these uh, organizations that, 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 that are not aligned to one specific church or one specific denomination are, allowed to, are enabled to do that very effectively because of that. And it is our joy to support them. There are other missions, especially overseas, that are pioneering at times. Some are serving the church in difficult places, looking to build up disciples who are often an extreme minority or even persecuted, or perhaps working in a place where there is no church, looking to call people to faith, just as this pioneering work in Acts 14 did, to see a church planted and started where previously there wasn't one. And friends, this is the kind of work we want to be invested in. This is what we want to send people to be part of. This is what we want people to feel a sense of calling towards. This is the sort of thing we need to support with all of our might. Because often there is a tension when we talk about Christian mission, a tension between, well, is it meeting practical needs or is it meeting spiritual needs? And it has been shown that, that actually the missions that are often the most effective at meeting practical needs are those whose intentional ambition is to meet the great spiritual need. Disaster relief, poverty relief, 
community projects are wonderful things, but in themselves they are not mission, because the marks of the mission are that it's proclamational. The mission is for the planting and the strengthening of churches. And too often, too often we think that we have to be restricted. So I would say, of course, these marks we see in Acts 14, mission can be about more than that, but it cannot be about less than that. These are the patterns being recorded for us so that we who hear this apostolic testimony of what mission is, that we will go forth and do likewise. And so we want to be supporting God's people wherever they are as they look to do this kingdom work of making Jesus known, because wherever that is done, it is done for the planting and the strengthening of churches. Almost done. One more thing to point out. The mission is proclamational. It is unpopular. It is for the planting and strengthening of churches. One final mark. The mission has been entrusted to the local church. The mission has been entrusted to the local church. And you see this if you look at the bookends of this first missionary journey. I mentioned to you already, it starts at the beginning of chapter 13. We are in the city of Antioch. And there you have what is probably a small church community. They are praying, asking the Lord, praying and fasting, asking the Lord, what are they going to do next? And the Holy Spirit speaks and says, set aside Paul and Barnabas and send them off. There's work for them to do. So the church prays and fasts and sends them on their way. Now, when we come to the end of the journey, which is where we are at the end of chapter 14, where do we find these missionaries? Back to Antioch. That's where they go. Back to the place where they had been, as it's put in verse 26, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And what do they do? They gather the church gather them together because the church wants to hear what has happened. There's very much a sense that the missionaries are reporting back to the church that sent them, and so they with joy declare all that God had done with them. If I might put it like this, they had a mission Sunday where they could hear about what God had done, specifically verse 27, to hear about what doors God had opened for people to come to faith. And this is where we are again reminded as a small church in a place that most of the world knows nothing about, that we, ought, we still do not get the option to sit back as a church and say, well, when it comes to mission, that's why we have organizations like OM and SU and Street Kids Direct and UCCF. They do mission. No. No, on their own they don't. Friends, these organizations are there to serve and to partner with the local church, to enable the local church to engage in mission. Indeed, they depend upon the local church to do that, as Pamela was sharing with us earlier. They depend upon people who are part of local churches. And so the mission of making Jesus known comes back to every single church even small churches like ours. And I'm delighted that we gather together like this to hear all that God has done in some of the missions we support. But I want us to go further. 
I want us to not just be happy to hear about it, but to have a sense that we are invested in it. To really invest ourselves in these missions. To truly be partners in the gospel with those we support. In prayer, in practical support, but in communication, in knowing what's going on. And as we invest ourselves there to be inspired by what they're doing, to give ourselves to the mission that lies on our doorstep. For we are doing mission in a place where the vast majority of people know nothing of God, of Jesus Christ, of the gospel. And how precious for us to read how God moved in Iconium, in Lystra, in Derby, in Pamphylia, in Perga, in Atalaya, and all because a small local church in Antioch took mission seriously and asked the Lord what He wanted them to do. The same thing comes to us, brothers and sisters. The mission is proclamational. It is unpopular. It is for the planting and strengthening of churches, and it has been entrusted to the local church, to this local church. And we must respond in faith and obedience in every way we can. Let's take a moment to pray. Father, we thank you so much for the encouragements we've had today, for the things we've heard about how you have undertaken to provide, how you have brought protection. Uh, But Lord, we've heard too of challenges in the mission. And Father, we, we thank you that it's you that we bring these things to. Lord, but left to our own resources, we would easily give up, but we're looking to you. And we thank you for the reminder that you have indeed prepared good works for us to do, that you have indeed entrusted this mission of making Jesus known to us in all of our weakness. And so we look to you, Lord, for strength. We look to you, Lord, for wisdom. And we pray that you would help us as a local church to be supporting those works that truly are proclamational, that truly are for the strengthening of churches. And Lord, that we would invest ourselves, our time, our resources, our prayers, so that, Lord, Lord, through those brothers and sisters who are serving, perhaps on the other side of the world, that we too, with them, might be going into all the world to make disciples. We thank you that this mission is ultimately your mission, Lord, and in that sense it is unstoppable. May that give us confidence as we step forward, perhaps even in small ways this week, to share some part of our story of knowing Jesus with someone, of wanting to share the gospel. Oh Lord, we need you to be in all of this. And we ask you to bring much fruit forth for all those who labor in the gospel today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's just take the time to say the words of the grace to one another as we go into this new week. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being with us today.